We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. All right, well, good morning. We're glad to be here. As Mike was saying, a little over three years ago, when this church, we got to be part of the launch of this church, we knew probably close to a year before that, that we knew God was pulling us to, to be part of that, to be part of this church with you. And I think that's been affirmed in our hearts, uh, in our family, uh, over the last few years, ever since we've got started. And, and I'll say, as, as we prepare to, to jump into God's word this morning, I feel like um, this message as well, um, God's been working it in my heart, and I feel like it's the message God has for each of us. I know it's the message he has for me this morning as well. And we're going to talk about peace. And uh, peace is, uh, boy, oof, there's a lot there, isn't there? And it's not the holidays yet, but uh, we're going to hear more about peace, I hope, as, uh, as the holidays approach. Uh, so first of all, thank you for, for letting me, uh, giving me the opportunity to share the word this morning. Um, I know that uh, this, this is important, to be diving into God's word together, and, and I feel blessed to, to be able to, uh, to do that this morning. So we've been... Uh, Spending what months now, Mike? How long has it been that we've been in Romans? A year. Okay. All right. So we've been a year in Romans, and we're getting close to the end. We're in Romans 14 today. So as as we jump in, let's let's go to Romans 14, verses 13 through 23, and I'll read it. I think we've got it on the screen as well. Romans 14, 13 through 23. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. There's a lot there, huh? Um, And we've only got a couple hours, so we're going to really have to dive in quickly. So... A lot of different ways that this um, that, that we could dive into these verses, and a lot of different things being said in these verses. And, and just to kind of summarize, a number of the verses talk about things to not do, things to avoid. And we talk about this responsibility as believers to look out for each other, to not cause each other to stumble. And we'll touch on that. But where we're really going to dive in most is in verse 19, and I'll reread it here. 
So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So there's, there's one verse here that really calls to what we should do, not just the cautions of what we should not do or what we should avoid. So we're going to look at that verse in particular. And we're going to cover it really with three points. So I'll give you kind of the, the preview of where, where we're going to go with that verse, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it. So the, the three points, first, peace, not instability. Secondly, mutual upbuilding. And then lastly, mutual pursuit. And, and we'll keep t- uh, covering those three points as we go through this morning. What I've called it is, will it stand? And, and I'm not a construction guy, per se. I'm not a builder, I help. But um, will it stand? We're going to talk a lot about construction and foundation and what are we building and how are we building it. And so if you have any really highly technical questions, save them for Ryan or for Zane or somebody that knows more what they're doing, Peter probably. Actually, any other man in the church for that matter. <laughs> so um, there's a verse that really meant a lot to me when I had a storm in my life. Uh, not a literal storm, but just a, a storm I was walking through. And it's Ephesians 6, 13. It says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. And that word for evil day, it actually could mean and does mean full of labors, annoyances, and hardships. So what does it look like to stand firm in a day that's full of labor, annoyances, and hardships? Does that sound like potentially a day that we're living in today? Labor, hardships, annoyances. But the call to us is to stand firm. And again, we'll talk about building a house that stands firm. So the first point, I already mentioned it, but peace, not instability. And I remember, I guess over a year ago, when we were talking about 2021 and a focus on hymns, on the depths of lyrics and hymns, um, there were really two themes that were on my heart and Mike and I prayed and talked about as we met over coffee or, or talked over the phone. One was peace, not instability. You know, the, the opposite of peace, uh, I'm going to talk this morning, is instability. What does it look like to be unstable, to, to have instability in our lives? The other one was grace, not self, and we'll set that aside for now, but peace, not instability. We need to start when we talk about peace, not with our definition, not with what the world says peace is, not with a feeling we have, but what does God mean? What is peace? And we can't separate our understanding of peace from our understanding of God. God is peace, and our understanding of what does peace mean, how do we live out peace, how do we have peace, needs to center around who he is. So start with him. I think that's true of a lot of the words that we use. You know, I studied hope for years, and, and my understanding of hope is partial if I don't start with the reality that hope comes from God, that God is hope. If he's not my starting point, I'm going to get off track really quickly, and hope is going to be some, become something that's a substitute, something that is, impartial, or is partial, that is not complete. Hope becomes eternal, as we sang this morning, when we recognize that God is hope, and this is beyond our life or our breath. I think the same is true when we talk about love, when we talk about peace, that our definition or what we, the world might suggest is a definition for, for peace or love is partial when we separate it from the reality that God is love, God is peace. That needs to be our starting point for how we understand these words. And I think sometimes with peace, and I've been guilty of this myself, we understand it as compromise, as don't rock the boat, as some kind of a uh, conflict avoidance. But that's not what peace means. And we're going to talk about that. Peace, in some cases, can be understood as bringing stability to a region. 
You could think of, uh, of an army, of a military, coming and restoring stability to a region. That's not conflict avoidance. That's an active role of coming in and, and setting or resetting peace, resetting stability when there is instability. So it is the, the taking over of instability and, and setting things stable, making things right. 1 Corinthians 14, 33 says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And the word for confusion there is instability. God is not a God of instability, but of peace. So God brings stability into our lives. God is the stability in our lives when we look to him as our peace, as the one who gives us peace, the one who is our stability. And it removes the instability. And we'll talk more this morning about anxiety. And uh, I've got some thoughts on that this week especially. So God is not a God of confusion or of instability, but of peace. I don't know about you, but instability does not take much. It can creep in quickly. It can creep in uh, strongly. Um, it can take over. Instability in our, in our thoughts, instability in our hearts, conflicted or, or divided attentions, instability can come quickly. There's a story, Hans Christian Andersen. This is 1835, so it's uh, a little dated. Uh, but the princess and the pea, have you heard that story before? I'm not going to read it all. It's actually pretty short. But it's a short story, and it talks about this, this royal family that, you know, their son wants to find a princess to marry. And kind of cut to the short here, she, uh, w- one night, there's a, a major storm, and this woman comes to the door of the castle, and I guess even though they're a, a royalty, they answer their own door. So they go out, and they, they open the door, and, and she says she's a princess, but, you know, she looks like she's just, you know, survived a storm, and they don't really know how to test if she's a princess or not. And so... The queen, or the mother, has this idea that, you know, they'll let her stay the night, and without telling her, she puts a pea down, then 20 mattresses, and then 20 eider-down mattresses, I guess, so 40 things in total, um, with the pea at the bottom, so 40 things, so I don't know, they must have had high ceilings, like our church here, Um, but 40 different things stacked on top of each other, and in the morning, you know, this woman wakes up and she just complains about how poorly she slept. She says she's black and blue and it just slept, couldn't sleep at all, how uncomfortable she was. And then the king and the queen know this is a real princess. Like, this is, this is the princess test. You know, I don't know if Serta, you know, sponsored this or not, but clearly, uh, you know, this, this is a princess. The results were in. But in our lives, what are we comfortable with? What's that P or how many P's or how large is the P in our foundation? that we ignore, or that we are comfortable with, or that we, we don't feel uncomfortable about. How are we allowing things to affect our stability of God as the foundation in our lives? Having a strong foundation, having a strong base is so important as believers, and continuing to lean on it, to rely on it, to go back to it, that it would be immovable, unchangeable, that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt, like the, I think there was a song my Redeemer lives. It said, I know that I know that I know that I know. And I love that line, that my Redeemer lives. But can we say, I know that I know that I know. God is my foundation. And I'm going to continue to rely on him as my foundation. I remember growing up, I would play games with my uncle a lot. And uh, one of the games we would play is checkers. And he would always beat me. And uh, I was young, so you know, now I, I'm sure I'd probably win. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uncle Rick, if you heard that, I'm sorry. Um, but we'd play checkers, and, and he would always beat me. And then at one point, I, I was just frustrated as a kid, and I was like, why, why do you always win? And he said, the key is don't move your base. 
Never move the back row. Leave your back row in place as long as you possibly can, because as soon as you open up your base, you know, that opens up the other team or the, the opponent to be able to get kings or queens right when you cross to that line. Um, so don't move your base. Don't compromise your foundation. I think it applies to what we're talking about this morning. Don't move your base. Don't move your foundation. Talking about peace and talking about these verses, these verses that we've read this morning, Charles Spurgeon said, It is then a peace divinely born and divinely nourished. And let me again remark, it is a peace that lives above circumstances. The world has tried hard to put an end to the Christian's peace, and it has never been able to accomplish it. I remember in my early childhood having heard an old man utter in prayer a saying which stuck by me, O Lord, give unto thy servants that peace which the world can neither give nor take away. And I love, there's a couple lines in this quote that I love. The first one being, the peace that lives above circumstances. And that the world has tried to take away the Christian's peace, but it can't. It hasn't been able to. It won't be able to. And then lastly, that, that quote that he's quoting, that peace which the world can neither give nor take away. Again, where might we be guilty of leaning on our own peace? We're looking to the world for peace, which is only partial. It's, it's temporary. It's not complete. It's not what we can count on. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. As I was looking at this verse, it says the peace of God rule in your hearts. The word for rule, really interesting. Uh, it's the only time this word is used in the Bible. But the word for rule is umpire, one of the definitions. And I, I kind of had to pause and say, umpire? Like, I did not think baseball existed when this was written. But sports did, apparently. And, and commentators talk about how this, most commentators say this is related to sports. And the imagery of letting God, as an umpire, over our thoughts and our hearts, dictate what comes in and what comes out. Dictate the accuracy of what's, what's good for us, what's not good for us. To guard, not only guard, guard our hearts, to protect our hearts, but also to, to help with the in, intake and outtake into our hearts and minds. And we'll talk about our hearts and minds and how weak, how instable they can be at times, but letting God play that role of umpire, making sure that, that what's good for us, what's, what's what we read about this morning in Philippians 4, whatever's pure, whatever is good, whatever is true, that those things would be getting in, that he would help protect. So it's not just leaning on God's peace and looking to God for peace, but recognizing that we play an active role in looking to him, but that he's playing an active role in helping in the moment be able to interpret information and make sure the right things are being focused on. On that, on that verse, on that word, commentator Lightfoot says, wherever there's a conflict of motives or impulses or reasons, the peace of Christ must step in and decide what is to prevail. So again, that ongoing presence of God looking at helping, helping us make sure that we are focused on the right things. Don't accept a peace substitute. Just as dangerous as the absence of God's peace can be the substitute of God's peace with something that's counterfeit. So again, it's, it, I'll reread that. Just as dangerous as the absence of God's peace is substituting it with something that's counterfeit. Where might we be looking to something else to give us peace when it can't or it won't 
or it will end, or it will, it will be shaken. So the first point, again, peace, not instability. Looking to God as our foundation, as the stability in our hearts and our minds, and, and guarding our hearts and our minds, playing umpire over our hearts and minds. Second point is mutual upbuilding. I mentioned construction. We'll talk more about construction here in a second. But we have a role and we have an accountability in the mutual upbuilding of each other. That's what we're doing here this morning. That's what church is about. That's what communities are about. Community groups are about. That's what discipleship is about. What is our active role? What is our accountability as Christians for mutually looking to build each other up, to encourage each other? To, to build something that is first on the foundation that's solid, but secondly, that is going straight up, that is architecturally sound. I remember growing up as well, I have a younger brother, I have six sisters and one younger brother, and uh, Ben and I, uh, he's seven years younger than me, still is, he was then, he still is seven years younger than me, uh, he hasn't caught up. Um, he, uh, he and I, we would do all kinds of things, you know, sports-wise, adventure-wise, um, you know, one probably bad safety example was we had a bow and arrow and we would shoot the arrow in the air and then try to catch it on the way down, which is really a terrible safety practice in the country. But we also broke a lot of things. I remember, you know, golf clubs in the front yard breaking, you know, uh, basement windows. I remember playing hockey in the driveway, breaking the garage door, um, all kinds of things. And whenever we broke something, we'd of course have to tell our parents. And I remember my dad always saying, Joe, like, this is on you. And I'd be like, come on, like, Ben did it. He's like, you're the older brother, you should know better. You have an accountability as the older brother to make sure that, that Ben is doing the right things, learning the right things. You have to set that example and stop it if it's gonna, you know, if it's gonna break something. And I think that, well, again, you know, this is, um, in this verse, I think the same applies, that we have a, a mutual accountability to say, hey, as we grow in our faith, as we grow in our relationship with God, as we deepen, as we experience different things, we have an accountability to look out for those that are younger in their faith, that are newer in their faith, that are still learning, to say, what example are you setting? What are you saying? Are you speaking candidly but with love? Are you inviting them into your life and, and, and playing a role in their life? We have a mutual accountability. When I think of discipleship, or I think of community groups, and I know we that's a huge part of what we're doing as a church. I think of two things that are so important. The first is a mutual commitment to the pursuit of God. Are we together saying, yes, that is what I'm after, that's what matters, that's what will last, and I'm in this. This is, this is the path I am picking for good. And secondly, I think it takes a mutual invitation into each other's lives. A mutual invitation not only into each other's lives and stories, the good, the bad, the hard, the the celebrations, the, the sorrows, all the different parts of life, but also for the purposes of pursuing God, that, that it would be sharing that life so we can mutually build each other up, so that we can look for ways to help each other through those things and, and to point to where we're headed together. That's what I'd say it's about with discipleship and community groups. Are we mutually committed to pursuing God wherever we're at in our journey, and can we mutually commit and invite each other into, into our lives in a way that can be hard, can be vulnerable, it requires trust, uh, it can be emotional, depending on what we've experienced in our lives and what, what God is, is working in us, working on us. So we need to stay aligned in building each other up. Staying aligned meaning we've got to, first, first and foremost, 
God has to be that foundation, has to be that stability, has to be the starting point. From there, in how we encourage each other and how we share life with each other, we need to stay aligned. Did you know the Leaning Tower of Pisa, which was built, I started building, I think, in like 1153, um, it began to sink after construction had progressed to the second floor due to a weak foundation, only three meters deep, set in weak and unstable ground or soil. But while you look at the pictures of it, and it's, it's varied over time because they've actually tried to reinforce and different efforts, projects, construction efforts have happened for, for decades, I guess for centuries at this point. Um, Do you know that it's really only four degrees off? I mean, it looks like it's about to topple, but it's four degrees off. That is such a small percentage for something that visually, you know, again, I'm no architect, but I can tell it's not straight. Um, could we be four degrees off in the lives we're living, in our walk with God? Could we be just slightly off, and maybe we don't see it? How many degrees off are we okay with? What does building upright look like? How do we do that together as a church body, as discipleship groups, as community groups? Build straight. While we're on the topic of foundations, I do want to just apologize to anybody that has been on the deck at our house. Um, we recently, a friend of mine came and, and tore away the old deck, and, and he and I are building a new deck. And he did say that it was kind of like a floating island or wooden contra- you know, trap of sorts at the foundation. Same issue as a, the Tower of Pisa. Foundation was, he could, he could pull up the beams just with his hands. So just to give you a sign of maybe how... Uh, now we can look back and laugh, right? I mean, it's, it's gone, so don't worry. Nobody's hurt. But uh, a weak foundation was not put deep enough into the ground. Um, he was able to pull it up with his hands. Did not, it would not have lasted. I want to read John fourteen twenty seven on the topic of peace. It says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, Neither let them be afraid. John Piper, a pastor in Minnesota, says, My peace, I'm not creating your peace. I'm sharing with you my peace. I'm bringing you into my peace. Not the peace of good circumstances. And he knows that the only kind of heart peace the world can give is peace of mind based on good circumstances. If the world can take away our troubles through health insurance or retirement accounts or flood protection or bomb shelters or labor-saving devices or I could add masks or vaccines or whatever else that gives us that peace of mind, then the world can give us some partial peace of mind. And none of those things, I'm not saying those are bad things, but where and when do we let that be a substitute for God as the starting point of our peace? That those will not last, those are not eternal. Those are things that maybe we we're tempted to use as substitutes, that if we work hard enough, if we put enough of these things in place, we can control and and feel comfortable with our peace level. But we ignore or we miss the fact that when all else fades away, what will really stand? Will it stand, the peace that you're leaning on? Living in peace with others cannot be prioritized at the expense of alignment with God. There's a verse Mike shared with me before around where possible, live at peace with all people. I think that's important. We want to be in good relationship. We want to be at peace with people. But going back to the definition of peace, we can't treat it as though that means we're going to avoid conflict, that we are going to 
always be pacifists, that we will cater to what that person wants at the expense of what does God want from your life? Again, our starting point has to be, first and foremost, our accountability lies with, am I living my life, am I living my faith in a way that reflects what God's called me to be, who God has called me to be? That has to be the starting point. Then, and from that peace, that recognition that God is our peace, let that be the stability that guides and informs the way that we have relationships with others. It can be a lot of work to rely on God, to not depend on ourselves. We have to chase away threats at our stability. We have to guard, and again, God commits to helping guard our hearts but it requires ongoing work, never-ending work in our lives. He talks about our hearts and our thoughts. That is a daily, maybe by the minute battle, right? To say, where do I get my peace from? Uh, there's, a, there's a story that has stood out to me. The Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, um, built, I think, in 1937. And because of all the elements, because of the water, because of the sun, because of the traffic, Etc. It's really never-ending work to maintain the Golden Gate Bridge. And even more recently, um, there are about 200 people, I read, that are tasked with the job, the responsibility of upkeep, of maintenance of the Golden Gate Bridge. And, and back, you know, when it first started, I read around how painters would start at one end of the Golden Gate Bridge, and they'd be, you know, doing all their projects, painting, scraping, uh, making it better. And by the time they got to the other end, they'd have to start back over again. Ongoing maintenance. It's not necessarily fun, it's not always uh, exciting, but that's what this requires, that we are ongoing, never-ending, sticking to the task, sticking with it. Ongoing maintenance in our lives. The protection against substitute peace, substitute foundations. The last point, and we'll spend a little bit more time on this one, is mutual pursuit. So we read in this verse, in verse 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace, and we talked about peace, not instability, and for mutual upbuilding, and we talked about our, our mutual commitment to pursue God, but also to invite each other into to our lives and to our stories. That first part, it all hinges on that, right? There's, a, there's an active, uh, a call to action for us here. So let us pursue. And it doesn't say let, let me pursue, let you pursue. Let us pursue together. Again, as a church, this is something we can do, we should do, we're called to do. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So what does that look like? Mutual pursuit. Chasing after. We need to act. Mutually pursue him as our stability and build each other up from that foundation protecting against fake peace and substitute foundations. That's what, this, that's what church is, right? Per, the mutual pursuit of God. If, if we're not here to mutually seek God, what's the reason we're here? If we're not here to mutually encourage and build each other up, what are, what are we doing as a church? Right? These, are, these are calls uh, to action for us as believers. So guard against divided focus and destabilizing threats. I'll share, this has probably been my most anxious week of the year, and I'll tell you a little bit about why, and I don't know about you. Are you you dealing with anxiety? Anything that can cause unrest in your heart, in your thoughts? Anything that's keeping you up at night? Or or 
having you drink more coffee or whatever else helps you with, with anxiety. I'll say uh, Monday, I, um, probably my biggest fear in life, well, feels like my biggest fear in life, is the dentist. Thank you. <laughs> and I'll read a verse on that. No, I'm kidding. Um, I went to the dentist, and they gave me some bad news. And I hadn't eaten. It was like 3 in the afternoon, and I really, I think I had a snack. And I passed out. They, they weren't even doing work. They just gave me some bad news, and I passed out. I came to like five minutes later, and, and I was already like on a stretcher getting you know, prepared to, to be put into an ambulance. Um, so five, you know, five minutes was just having passed out. And uh, I guess the, the thing I'll laugh about later in life is this was uh, through the referral of my mother-in-law. So it was her, you know, uh, her dentist that I was visiting, so she was there. And you know, nothing that bonds a son-in-law with his mother-in-law like being wheeled in a wheelchair in the ER at Bethesda North. Um, but anxiety. It, it's, what happened was syncope, if, if you're in the medical field, um, just the situational stress and then low blood sugar, just it knocked me out. I was out. Um, later in the day, yeah, this just is jumping ahead. When I said, when I said nothing bonds you with your mother-in-law, Jess was then at the ER, and when they were hooking me up to the IV, I mean, I was, I was hungry, it was like five now, and, or four, I don't remember what time it was. Um, but I passed out again, and this time, my eyes were open, so nothing to bond you, you know, husbands and wives, like seeing your husband with his eyes open, passing out, right? For a couple minutes this time. But anxiety, right? And, and again, other factors may be at play, but my, my, my pulse had dropped to below 40, I think, and then it finally got up to 50, which they kept asking me if I was a runner. So apparently I have the cardio of a runner and the body of a non-runner, is I guess how I would describe it. Um, but syncope, right? This destabilizing of, of my, how my body was functioning because of anxiety, largely, because of things in my mind, the, fight, you know, the, the flight or fight impulse to say, this is stressful, I don't like this, I don't know what to do, and then suddenly it just triggers all these events in my body. And anxiety can do that. Maybe not to as humorous of a story as that for, for you, I'm still not laughing about it, but, um, but anxiety in your lives, what is that anxiety? What is that thing that is destabilizing you, that is causing you to maybe not pass out, but causing you to try to fill that, to try to meet that, to try to close that gap? There's been instability as well. Um, at work, a lot of unrest just around the vaccine and, and a mandate because of uh, working for a government contractor. I'm in human resources, and so you know, my day, my hours are kind of um, largely focused on that over the last couple weeks. What does this look like? What is our role? You know, how do employees feel about it? And, and hearing just across the, the range and spectrum people's feelings, their anxieties, their emotions over it, regardless of position. Um, and not just around a vaccine itself, but around other, you know, details around needing to wear masks 24-7 regardless of vaccination status, just things that are part of government contract specifics, contractor specifics, um, again, regardless of vaccination. An anxiety. And yesterday, um, I found out that my... Um, I know what to say. I'm just <laughs> my, my uncle uh, Doug passed away. Um, 
you've been fighting cancer over the last couple of years, and it's, it's heavy. It causes you know, sadness, anxiety, other things. But we can't unanxious ourselves. We can't deal with those things ourselves. We have to decide what is our reaction, what's our impulse when we have anxiety. What do we do when there's instability? What do we do when there's unrest? And I think the big test is where do we turn? Where do we look? Where do we go? Bible commentator McLaren, talking about this verse that we'll read here in a second, says, if a thing is great enough to threaten to make me anxious, it is great enough for me to talk to God about. When I read that, I thought, why is that not my first reaction? If we're having anxiety, if we have fear, if we have doubt, if we have any of these things, why is God not our first go-to Why do we let our minds wander? Why do we let it be divided? If a thing is great enough to threaten to make me anxious, it is great enough for me to talk to God about. For a great many of us, McLaren goes on to say, the only notion that we have of prayer is asking God to give us something that we want. But there's a far higher region of communion than that in which the soul seeks and finds and sits and gazes. And aspiring possesses and possessing aspires. This isn't just a call to say, make your, you know, here's what I need your help on, God, prayer requests. It's a call to communion. It's a call to worship. It's a call to him being our focus. And prayer is a key part of that. But it is not maybe how sometimes we experience prayer or how we focus on prayer of just here's the things I need today, God. It is a pursuit of him. It's a reliance on him. It is a focus on who is God and how do we, we just spend time with him. And I'll say that's not something that we always do very well. You know, we've, we've had conversations with, with people in our, in our church, in our community group, and in, in, in discipleship as well of where and how are we prioritizing time with God? So, so if there's a call to action for us in here, something that we can take with us, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll go over a couple others in a second here, but one is where and how are we pursuing God? Where and how are we making him our, our first instinct, our first impulse, that, that he would be what we're focused on and what we're after? As individuals, as spouses, as parents, as children, whatever your role is, whoever you are, you know, as a believer, is, is he the starting point? Here is the to-do for us. The unescapable anxieties of this world, and they are unescapable, should push us to the inexhaustible strength and presence of his peace. So his peace isn't going anywhere, and and I don't have it in the notes here, but there's a verse in John where we're encouraged that we can take heart because he's overcome the world. So this is, is, if we're ranking which is more powerful, clearly... We have a a, a no-brainer here that we can take heart, we can be encouraged because as as we sang a couple weeks ago in one of the worship songs, we serve a God who knows only how to triumph. He's victorious. And and we sometimes are tempted to rely on things that are not victorious, that do not triumph. 
We already read this passage this morning, and I, I appreciate that we're, we're going to get to circle back to it here. In Philippians, um, I think we had read verses 4 through 9 in, in chapter 4, but we're going we're to look at verses 6 and 7 in Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the word there for anxious can mean to take care. Some other ways that this word can be understood is drawn in different directions. Distracted, preoccupied, divided, conflicted. So it's not just anxiety or stress or how we think of it maybe medically. The, oh, shouldn't do that. Uh, how, sorry for online listeners especially. <laughs> um, it's not just this anxious thing. It's divided. Where are we getting pulled in two different directions and allowing ourselves to be? And in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast all your care, all that conflicting, divided thought, life, heart, cast all that on him because he cares for you. So God loves us. He is drawing near to us. And our, our job is to say, I, I can't carry this. I don't want to live a divided life, a conflicted life, a, a life that is being pulled and drawn in different directions. I need to let go of one thing. Which of those two things am I going to let go of? How divided or distracted will we let our pursuits be? Again, going back to, to what we talked about in the, in the first two points, how much instability will we let in our foundation? Maybe it's as small as a pea. Maybe it's larger. How comfortable are we with that? Or the example of degrees off, four degrees off, uh, less than four degrees off, the, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. How, how comfortable are we with something that's not being built soundly, that will not stand the test of time? And then lastly here, this, this, this point of, of mutual pursuit. We need to let us, as believers, pursue God. And, and that pursuit means... We have a choice to make. We, we can't be drawn in two different directions. So we have to decide what direction we'll be pulled in. And that's, that's not just a, are you, are you accepting him into your heart or not decision, although that's part of it. It is also a constant decision for us as believers. Every thought, every moment, every challenge, every what we talked about, annoyance, labor, hardship, we're confronted with that decision of which direction will I be pulled in? Where will I go? So just to to recap, make him your stability, make him your foundation. Pray, worship, seek him as the guardian and the umpire of your thoughts and your heart, directing what comes in and what comes out. Secondly, invite others to the depths of your story and the work of mutual upbuilding on that foundation of him, on that stable foundation of God. And then lastly, Pursue always an undivided, occupied, singular intent, purpose, and pursuit of God together. We need to pursue something that stands the test of time. And we're, we're told in this verse, in verse 19, what we need to do. That we would seek peace, the stability of God as our peace, as the starting point for how we understand peace and what that means in our lives. That we need to be actively looking to build those around us up, to be mutually built up in him. 
and then pursuit together. There's a, there's a role for us. It's not a, a cross your fingers happenstance. We're called to action here, that, that we would pursue that, those two things that are mentioned in, in this verse, verse 19. I'm going to close in prayer, and if the worship team wants to come back up, I'd encourage you to, to just um, let God move in your hearts this morning. I, I, I pray that he'd be at work in us, in this message, in this service, that he would, um, that we would distill our hearts and let him, uh, let him speak to us this morning. So I'll pray. Dear God, we thank you that you are here with us this morning, and God, as we've talked, as we've read, as we've sung, God, I pray that you would be our peace, that we would know what that word peace means because of you and what you show us in your word. God, I pray that with the instability of things around us, the substitutes of peace around us, God, the things that the world might offer that are fleeting, that that are incomplete, God, I just pray that we would make you our impulse, make you our our focus, make you our go-to. God, that you would be our foundation, that we would not accept or let small destabilizers in our foundation. God, that we lean on you. Isaiah 26.3 says that we're kept in perfect peace when our minds are stayed on you. Pray that you just fix our minds, our hearts on you this morning, God, that we would live a undivided, focused life in pursuit of you together. Pray in your name. Amen.